0: Welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wondery Country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Eva Cook.
1: So we yells, we walk among you. We are one of you. And we have a right to be a valued part of society. And that comes from having a home as someone who was an owl, when you lose your pride and sense of belonging and community, you have nowhere to go. And I won't let another woman do that.
2: I'm running in circles, finding the time, trying to step out and stay in the
0: This week's Women on the Line hears today from OWLS, older women lost in housing. At an event hosted by the Justice Committee of the Victorian Women Lawyers, we hear from two speakers, Penny Lamehouse, an OWLS advocate, and Lucy Adams from Justice Connect, a Victorian organisation which provides people locked out of the justice system with free legal help. The first speaker, Penny Liam House, is a social activist and housing affordability advocate. She's based in New South Wales, close to the ACT, in a permanent home, but not after a long journey to get there. Since 2014, Penny has represented older women at risk of housing vulnerability. She advocates across the country for equitable, systematic change for women in Australia, particularly. Penny focuses on secure, affordable housing for women over the age of 45.
1: I actually refer to it as a tragedy of commons because that's literally what it is. It's a tragedy of commons that could have, should have and can be avoided. Um, So old women and homelessness is a gender inequality, generational and systemic structural issue. Women in this cohort, age 45 and over. So for this presentation, when I say ours, it's women who are 45 and over. A lot of data might have different subgroups, but I always go by 45 and over. Um, they have experienced across their lifespan. So casualised low-paid employment with little or no superannuation. Caring responsibilities, which means time out of the workforce under and employment and unemployment gender pay disparity plays a big role in that, family violence, job loss, acquisition of an illness or a disability, superannuation deficits in relation to the cost of home ownership and low retirement savings and minimal pension payments. Any one of these circumstances pushes older women into homelessness. Add to these variants, the lack of public, social or community housing and this group of baby boomers is pushed into homelessness. So since 2009, social researchers have warned government and agencies have warned government that there will be a tsunami of older women who are homeless. Well, that tsunami is now hit. So with this group of baby boomers, gender inequality, no policy response to the housing issue for secure, Affordable, accessible housing options has led them straight up the garden path to no home. Underrepresented, noted by agencies and organisations as underreported, and that would be my experience. From the many women who have contacted me and who I have spoken to, they are not recorded with an agency or an organisation, there's no record. The issue has been identified as hidden, which it is, The owls are more likely to sleep in their cars, to couch surf, to go and say, I'm staying with my family, I'm staying with my friend. Um, Quite commonly, they will rent a room somewhere. Owls typically do not recognise that they are either homeless or at risk of homelessness. They just don't see it. The majority have led conventional lives and homelessness for them is a first-time experience. Additionally, many have never dealt with welfare, service or organisations. So they don't know where to go, they don't know how to ask for help and they don't know who to ask for help in the first place. Um, Many of the women I speak, speak with are reluctant to access the services anyway. So when I speak with them, they say, oh no, I couldn't possibly. So there's a reluctance there on their part to actually go anywhere for help or assistance. The circumstances that bring ours to homelessness are not the traditional pathways that have previously historically been associated with homelessness. So quite often in the general public, homelessness I think is still recognised as sleeping rough. The other issues of homelessness, couch surfing, staying with somebody living in a caravan being transient, they're not recognised as homeless. And I think that's what's happening with owls that they're just not seeing their own situations. There's a great deal of shame and embarrassment expressed by owls, and they feel helpless, powerless, and hopeless. In a submission by owls to the Senate on Women's Economic Security and Retirement, which is a laugh, it should have been called insecurity, let's get real. <laughs> well, really, people. <laughs> one, one owl interviewee said, I hope I die at my desk. And she's 49 years old. All of the participants in the submission had the same background, relationship breakdown, gender inequality, broken um, workforce participation, caring roles and responsibilities. What was very distressing for me was that every single one of those women expressed fear and had no hope for their future in retirement, let alone right now. So they're all living right now in the moment with no thought of tomorrow because they can't. Um, I just want to say I do have a copy of my submission here. I did do it as part of my university degree, so it is academically (laughs) sound. It's not just, I didn't just sit there and type it out.
0: You're listening to older women's housing advocate, Penny liam And here she talks about the specific challenges for culturally and linguistically diverse older women.
1: So, women from cold backgrounds face additional challenges. The lack of access to resources and language and cultural barriers can add to their their situation and make it more complex. I have had a social worker contact me with a client from a cold background who was homeless and an owl. So, she'd been offered a space in a shelter for women who had been experiencing family violence. The client had not experienced family violence but had experienced trauma and the space was not safe for her nor was it appropriate. So the social worker had contacted ours because there's nothing and nowhere else and she thought that I might know somewhere or some kind of solution. So in the end what we came up with putting out a request via social media through a closed group and she ended up being able to rent a room somewhere. That's insecure, that's unstable, and that's really not going to meet her needs either. So, from what I understand with shelters, they are bottlenecked. And there are wait lists for women needing to access transitional housing. Now, I have to say, my perception and other ales perceptions of transitional housing, it's ridiculous. If you're going to house somebody, house them first and do it right the first time might sound a bit pedantic, but that's Mm the way it is. There have been many women who have contacted ours who live in boarding houses. All of them are absolute horror stories. So often the room is a single room where all living takes place. So it's living, cooking, and it's cleaning. So for cooking, there might be a toaster or a microwave, which then limits the woman's capacity to access healthy food and cook it. Also, how's she going to store stuff? That's going to have an impact on... As we know from science, mental health is affected by what we eat, physical health, the whole ball, it just snowballs. Research shows that mental health and substance issues are not generally indicated as prevalent within the owls cohort. However, the life disruption to economic resources, social connection and well being can and do contribute to poor health. Those who are eligible for home care packages don't receive them because they can't. They haven't got a home and you need to have somewhere stable to access that. So if you're couch surfing or if you're moving around the place and you're transient, they don't get the health care. They typically end up in emergency departments when their health is acute. There is no peak body that advocates or represents this specific cohort. So, additionally, there is limited research to support the census data. So, what research has been done has been conducted by service agencies, organisations, and social researchers. Housing for the Aged Action Group, HAG, is working on a national Ageing on the Edge Older Persons Homeless Prevention Project. I didn't look that up when I said it, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so long. Which aims to raise awareness and improve services for older people at risk of homelessness. So older women are definitely included in that group and older women are recognised as the new face of homelessness. So there are answers, there's always an answer, there's always a solution and prevention is one of the key um, measures as well. As I said, we need to have a whole of government and a whole of community response. We need to work together collectively on this. So while I'm not going to go for either or any political party, I don't care what their policies or politics are, I want them to do something for older women. I think if we continue to do the work at whatever level we can, while we think, you know, sometimes I think, God, it's not going anywhere, I'm not making any headway.
0: You're listening to Women on the Line. I'm Aoife Cook. And our speaker, Penny Leemhouse, has made a documentary which she's showing around the country Older Women Lost in Housing, also known as OWLS.
1: A CEO of a very big organisation in Victoria had seen the documentary and having viewed that he is now pushing and is about to sign off on 50-50 gender employment by 2020 and pay parity and has set up meetings to check with all the women who are over 45 working to their organisation as to what their super is and what their housing situation is. So, it's all those little branches that will work off and go somewhere. So, solutions are possible, available and sustainable and sustainability is important, you know. Transitional housing, it's it's not a permanent solution. A shelter, while they're great in emergency situations and while they offer some respite, where is the permanent housing? That's what's really needed. So, aside from lobbying for a national housing minister, there are preventative measures that can also be implemented. A gender-specific central service system in every capital city that offers consistent and individual advice and referrals to ours on agencies and organisations. Including financial, tenancy, legal, and mental health support. Accessibility is a key factor in implementing such a service. A website and the ability to access personnel face to face are crucial. An example of a central service is the HAG Victorian Home at Last service. So you can support HAG's Home at Last service, which also represents older women. Um, So someone said to me, "What can you?" Do. We, we can all do something, everybody, every day. doesn't matter. If you think it's small, nothing is ever, ever going to be small. You can do plenty. Education. Running preventative programs that inform women of their options and provide resources. Knowledge is powerful. Workshops to inform women of the reality of the situation, that it can, it will, and it does happen, and this is the information mm-hmm. you need to protect yourself or what you can do for yourself if it happens. Raising awareness. It's as simple as talking about the issue. Recognise that homelessness can happen and does happen to any older woman. As I said in the documentary, I could be your mum, your grandma, aunt, sister, friend, colleague. I walked among you as an owl, no one knew. So we owls, we walk among you. We are one of you, and we have a right to be a valued part of society, and that comes from having a home. As someone who was an owl, when you lose your pride and sense of belonging and community, you have nowhere to go. And I won't let another woman do that. Um, a home is which, where all other life flourishes. Um, so, as an individual, I don't have any power. I don't have employment. I don't have economic resources. Every single one of you in this room does. So individually you can do a lot, collectively think of what you can do. So just for an update on the um, data, 2011-2016 for older women shows 27% increase for women at age 55 to 64, 51% increase for women at age 65 to 74. The next highest bracket, which will be some of the women in this room, aged 25 to 34 at 19%. And this is a group I refer to as the Owlets. We've let the Owls suffer. Let's not, as a society and a collective, let the Owlets suffer the same thing. Thank you so much.
0: And on to the second speaker of the evening, Lucy Adams, who was at the time of the event in June this year, the Principal Lawyer of Homeless Law with Justice Connect. She was also the winner of the 2016 Community Lawyer of the Year Award at the Law Institute of Victoria Awards.
3: I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and leaders of the future. Um, I do also think that it's important to recognise that despite their strength and resilience, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people make up 3% of the Australian population, and yet they make up 23% of the population of Australians uh, experiencing homelessness, which is a source of national shame and not anything that can be ignored in conversations like the one we're having tonight. Um, I thought in terms of, um, I guess, framing some of the conversation and reflecting on some of the systemic issues, I'm going to talk about two clients we've worked with recently at Justice Connect uh, through our Women's Homelessness Prevention Project. Um, and I think um, both of them in their own way shine a light on some of the systemic issues that Penny has highlighted for us this evening. Um, the first client is um, I, and I have changed their names to to respect their own privacy, but um the first client is a woman called Mary, and um, she had had previous experiences of homelessness in her life and had landed one of the rare uh, community housing properties. So, Really, um, to borrow a term of my colleagues, it's like gold dust to be able to get secure, safe, affordable housing where the rent is fixed to your income. So you do feel that um, for the most part, you will be able to get by at 25% or 30% of what's coming in. You'll put that toward your rent. Um, her son was battling schizophrenia and one evening attended the property and damaged the property And when he was unwell. And within a couple of days, she'd received a notice to vacate, so the start of the eviction process for that damage, um, and was facing eviction from the property that um, meant such a huge amount to her in terms of her her future years, her well-being, her health, the relationship with her son, which was, of course, difficult because of his own health, but was still something that she she valued and treasured and wanted um, to, to keep and maintain. Um, by the time she came to us as a legal service, it had gone a long way. So she, had, she was really at the end of the line of that legal process um, and the police were about to, to come and change the locks on the property. And what that really told us, and I guess one of the things that underpins our work, is that um, as a community, we need to be doing everything we can to keep people in housing because once you slip out, um, that it's really hard to find your feet again. And what we saw there was that, This was a woman who was in community housing, um, was now being evicted to what was at the time an act of family violence. She'd she'd had to resort to calling the police as that event transpired. Um, It was a community housing provider who are set up to provide housing that is affordable to um, people who um, cannot make it in a really ruthless private rental market. Um, And yet she was at risk of, of losing that property. And so we uh, started to negotiate um, and that wasn't working and time was running out and we commenced proceedings in the Supreme Court. And we relied on a number of things, but um, one of those was Victoria's Charter of Human Rights. And we looked at what is the obligation of the social housing provider. And one of them is to give proper consideration to um, to Mary's human rights. Um, and one of those rights is not to have your home or your privacy arbitrarily or unlawfully interfered with. and. Just weighing up, had that been, um, I guess, properly considered, essentially, and were we really at a point where eviction was the only option that was available to that landlord? And certainly the view we came to was that, no, we we weren't at that point. And... um, you don't want to resort to litigating that often. Everybody is trying to do the best they can, but we did feel that that was an important one. And in the end, the outcome that was achieved was that it it settled and Mary was moved into another social housing property that was safe and was secure. And she could kind of start to rebuild from what had been um, an incredibly stressful time for her with that prospect of losing the home that she treasured. Um, So um kind of shortly after mary worked with a woman called angela and she um had been living in her private rental property for three years um she was 72 she loved her community her local community and was part of it she was um swimming at the local pool and part of a line dancing group as well which was good for her i guess her her health and well-being and her social connections and she was paying sixty percent of her income toward her rent, so she's living very close to the line. and when she got uh, a number of park a couple of parking fines, not heaps, just a few, um, and a higher than usual utilities bill, and the money went there, she found herself two months behind in rent we were able to provide legal representation and social work support which is what our our project model is about and it could buy her more time but ultimately it could not make that tenancy sustainable um she she really just when she looked at it she's like i i i can't afford to sustain this place anymore and she ended up becoming what what we're seeing is a a more invisible form of homelessness in that she um, moved in with a friend. Um, it wasn't really her choice, and it wasn't how she saw her. It wasn't really the turn she saw her life taking in those later years. She would have liked to live independently by her, by herself, but that's that was really the only option that was available to her. So they're just two women um, and their stories, but I think they do they highlight. A lot of what we see, and in the last three years we've worked with 128 women who are over 50 and who uh, find themselves at, at risk of being evicted into homelessness. One of them, so I think the first thing that Mary's story highlights is that, and I touched on it, but really we do need what is a genuine commitment to homelessness prevention. And it, it's, it's really easy to say, but what does it look like? And I think we see in our work every day we do not have a legal system, a services system or a culture that is geared to making evictions into homelessness a last resort. It is still the first resort. Other alternatives um, are, not, are not exhausted, are not explored and are and, and not utilised in the, in the way that we need to be. And I think Angela's story highlights something different, which is just that it um, in a rental market that
1: is... Now, pretty obscenely unaffordable. Sorry, I was going to say, Anglicare's latest report, so they do report on rental affordability. There is no affordable properties anywhere, including Tasmania, anymore.
3: Mm. Yeah. Exactly. So you could you could have a, got all fourteen thousand in Victoria that are advertised, and you will not be able to get any of those on a, an amount that is um, kind of less than thirty percent of your income and doesn't put you in what's called rental stress. Um, so um I think that that points to two things what what can we do about it and you have highlighted what we need to do about it already there are solutions we know what they are we need to invest in social housing and we need to prioritize it um there's a great campaign at the minute called everybody's home it's calling for three hundred thousand social properties by 2026 I encourage you all to get online and and sign up to that um that that's the kind of injection of social housing that we need to make sure people like angela are not spending 60 percent of their income and not being able to then kind of put food on the table and are finding themselves um bunking in with friends when really that's not the future that that she deserved at 72. Um, And the other one is how do we make eviction prevention a reality and how do we make eviction into homelessness a last resort? Um, And there are legal frameworks that that could help us do that better and Scotland has one um, and it prioritises prevention and they have a pre-eviction checklist and they have a reasonableness test. And then the decision that kind of changes the culture of what do we have to do before we go down this eviction path? Um, and what have we tried, and are there alternatives? Is there a payment plan that's possible? Is linking a client with support another option? Is transfers to a different property going to be the right answer? Um, what is really going to be the right answer for older women uh, is evicting them when there are no alternative housing options available and they're going to end up kind of staying with friends or sleeping in their cars or in a boarding house that no-one in this room would... Um, probably feel safe or comfortable laying your head down in that night um and so we need we do need better legal protections i think um against unnecessary or preventable evictions and evictions that we should be committed to avoiding um so they're probably our i would say our two priorities for how we can do better at keeping um keeping women in housing And that
0: was Lucy Adams, a principal lawyer on homeless law with Justice Connect. And earlier in the show, you were listening to Penny Liam House of Owls, Older Women Lost in Housing. The music for this week's show is Lost in the City by Anna Oliphant-Wright.
2: I'm lost in the city Where I can't call my home I'm handing out pity So
0: Women on the Line is a national women's current affairs programme made for community radio. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We'd love to hear your thoughts or comments about the programme, so please send an email to womenontheline at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook or Twitter.